The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 25, Setting Up Automation in Your Law Firm Without Coding. My conversation with Dorna Moyni, CEO and co-founder of Documate. I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. My next guest is Dorna Moyni. Dorna is the CEO and co-founder of Documate a no-code platform for building document automation and client-facing legal apps. Prior to starting Documate, Dorna was a litigator at Sidley Austin. There, in her pro bono practice, she worked with legal aid organizations to build a web application for domestic violence survivors to complete and file their own paperwork. This led to her idea for Documate. Dorna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure, and to get things started... Uh, we got to ask, what is your current tech setup? Yes, so I am on a Mac. I have a Yeti microphone per your recommendation with me. Um, I use Chrome for for web browser. What else do you want to know? So uh, I know you have Bose over the ear headphones. They're Bluetooth, correct? Yes. And so you said you use a Mac. What kind of Mac do you use? I'm on a MacBook Pro, although it's probably older than I should admit to you. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, does it have a spinning drive or does it have a solid state drive? That's a great question that I can't answer. <laughs> Can you hear your drive spin? No, I can't. Okay. So hopefully you have a solid state drive. And I'll just politely remind the reader and, and share with you that you know, sometimes if you find that your old laptops are running slow, if you put a solid state drive in there to replace your old hard spinning drive, you'll notice an increase in speed and productivity that will well be worth adding in a couple hundred bucks to put in a new drive. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so, okay, we have the computer, we have uh, the Yeti mic, we have the over the ears Bose. Um, any other tech devices in there that you use on a daily basis? Everything else I have is also Bluetooth. So my mouse is Bluetooth. My uh, my keyboard is Bluetooth. And that's, that's really it. I use AirPods quite frequently. I use the AirPod okay. Pro, which I find great. The only thing I hate about them is that they run out of batteries like halfway through the day because I'm usually on calls all day. So that's the only problem. Have, have you tried alternating one versus the other? I have, and I find it a little bit irritating to do that, but I, oh, I do okay. that when I'm getting near the end of a call and it, it tells me that it's almost out. I'll switch, switch one out into the charger and then switch the other one back in. 
Okay, okay. Because like right now, uh, while we're recording, I just have one in uh, versus the other. And the other ones are just charging up for later because, you know, we'll, I'll be on other phone calls and whatnot. Um, I guess okay, that's the old way get... we used to use the phone, just in one one ear. <laughs> yeah, but no, we used the to 90s. use phones too. <laughs> I used to use, you know, I used to use you know, my hands. You know, I used to cradle my hand and, and, and I think I'm a little bit older than you because the, there was a cord between the phone device and the phone, uh, the phone base <laughs> and that phone base was actually wired to the wall. I remember um, those days. Yeah. And we were charged per minute per call. <laughs> my parents had to tell me to get off the phone. So, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Cause you know, you were. Well, was it because you were spending money or because they wanted you to do something like some chores around the house? Probably a combination of the two. <laughs> now that I think uh, younger people today can do all three things. They can work, they can goof off, and they can be on the phone all at the same time, uh, which probably shows that they have a lot more talent than you and I together, <laughs> sadly. But, well, tell us, um, let's get into the questions. So tell us, how are attorneys underutilizing automation in the legal practice? Yeah, so um, as you know, I run a, a, an automation platform. And so what we see with a lot of our clients is that, I'll, I'll give you the scary example of how they're underutilizing first, and then I'll give you the more uh, you know, widely applicable example. The scariest example is when you see the attorneys who have the paper intake forms that they right. still send through PDF in an okay. email to their clients. That is, I mean, if, if I'm a, a client for any type of any type of business and someone's sending me a PDF intake form, I'm probably not gonna work with that person. And I bet you, if you're an attorney out there who's using a PDF intake form, um, that's probably scaring away some of your potential clients. Uh, so one is automating that process. But for, for those who are listening to this podcast, they're probably pretty, pretty tech savvy and are already using online tools to do some form of intake. And what I think that people are not using enough of is automation that both helps them generate documents in-house and also helps them train staff in-house. So really automation, document automation, and then also expert systems. Um, what we see a lot of folks do is build out processes that are rules-based, that have decision trees, where you can guide someone down, down a certain path to get to the right set of documents. That could be client-facing, but it could also be something that you use with your paralegals, your staff, even your junior associates who, don't, who are just entering uh, a particular area of law. And that makes them a lot more efficient. Now, when you say, forgive me, I don't, I'm not going to say the right word. You said document expert expert programs expert systems but um thank you sorry yeah now is that something like like document is or is that something completely separate so document can build an expert system we have because most lawyers are really thinking about documents and how they can mm -hmm. generate those documents most of our clients are using us for document generation but if you wanted to use it for an expert system which would be more like decision automation you could do mm -hmm. that too, because you have all of the logic power that can build you an expert system that generates a decision instead of necessarily generating documents. So for example, you could build a tool for your law firm. Let's say you're a personal injury lawyer. You could build a tool for your law firm that tells people, sorry, your accident was too long ago and such limitations has run out. Uh, something like that. 
or you could build a tool internally, like what we've seen in terms of the expert systems. Let's say you're an IP lawyer and you want to have your paralegal start the process for any given case, but they don't know what necessarily are going to be the documents and templates that they need to use. You can build an expert system that guides them, that takes them to the to the next step that they actually need to, to operate and the next set of templates that they need to use based on questions that they answer. So maybe, you know, what type of case is this? Where does the client live? Questions like that can then allow you to set up if then logic that guides the, the user to the right place in that workflow. So one thing that I'm trying to understand, and I understand the first section about being information uh, capturing, and then the second one being an uh, an expert system to run that information through a process to help produce uh, other types of documents. My question though, is when people come say to document, because we're going to talk about document a little bit, but when people come to document and they're trying to get the information captured by, through you guys, um, do they always stay with you with regards to the expert systems or do they go to other platforms? And, and this is not to take away from Document. I'm just trying to understand like what they typically do. Like if they already have perhaps some in-house um, systems that they prefer to use, how, you know, so for first, I guess, is what are they, if you know what they are? And two, if that's what happens, is there something that helps, that helps translate between the information capturing to the expert systems? Yes, so um, great question. So they, they often start with document automation, but document automation kind of becomes the, the gateway drug, if you will, to getting them to the expert system. And right. what we've seen is they build that directly in our system because they, they already know the platform. They already know how to set up the logic. Um, we don't require you to learn a bunch of code and syntax and hire a software developer to set everything up. And so once you know how to do something basic, you know, maybe you set up a, you started with an engagement letter, then you built a really robust workflow that generates sets of documents for a divorce, for example. Then when you want to build something more complex, you already have the toolkit for that. So what we see is they stay within our system and they build those more robust tools but it's given them ideas of how they could use the system in broader ways than they ever thought when they initially signed mm-hmm. up. Uh, and then it also allows them, I mean, you're, you, when you ask about kind of in-house systems that they may have, um, we can, depending on you know, what database they're using, we have APIs that we can help them connect into other systems through as well. So we, we got information capturing, we have expert systems, what's a third? Um, I would say document automation is, is probably the third, not enough people are, are doing those in unison, uh, where you capture the information from the client and then you have that automatically go into the documents. A lot of lawyers are doing client intake, then they're taking that information and plugging it into maybe their automation system in house. But if you can send a client intake form to a client have them fill it out. And before you spend even a single minute on their case, have their documents be generated, that's really the ideal. Um, And then to really take that a step further is building a legal product out of that. So um, if one of the the things you can do with these tools is take yourself out of that picture so that you don't necessarily have to be providing hourly rate services or supporting the customer, but rather for anything that is pretty form heavy or routine, routine based, 
you can give that to the client. They can generate their documents and they never bother you and you can collect, collect payments through the system as well. So, so forgive me, maybe I'm trying to understand the distinguishing between the expert system and the document generation. Are, are those two different items or are they, so, they sound like those are the same? It's definitely a kind of yin yang. Um, expert systems don't necessarily have to generate a document. They could just generate a decision. So instead of generating your packet of documents, they could tell you mm -hmm. whether you're eligible for something, whether you're not eligible for something, what actions you need to take. But that might not necessarily be a document. It could just be something that displays on the screen. So they're definitely they're definitely overlapping. There's, I would say document automation falls within a type of that. So here's a question for you. You talk about capturing the potential client's information. Now, a lot of the forms that I deal with deal with personal uh, protected identification information, social security numbers, date of birth, um, et cetera. And what do you do or what do you suggest or what have you seen your clients do so that, you know, this is the information that I need. I don't want to capture this in an initial consult because quite frankly, I don't want to create the error that we are of an attorney-client relationship. You know, he got my information. I figured he did something with it. Therefore, so... How do you, you create a second step in that information gathering and kind of like, how does that work? Yeah. So first I would say, choose your software very wisely. And you want to be, if you're using any kind of legal technology, you're going to want to be with a provider who cares a lot about security, um, segregates mm. your data, you know, all of the standard things, segregates your data, everything should be encrypted in transit and at rest. Um, a lot of our customers are outside of the U.S. and they want their data stored in those jurisdictions. So ask those questions upfront before you have your clients put their information into any kind of software system. But once you have decided on a software and you know it's it's right for you, um, that's a that's a great point. You don't want to see whether or not it's secure. You don't want to see certain pieces of data because you don't you may not want to create create that client attorney client relationship. So choose upfront whether your tool is is something that you're using for current clients, where you're collecting that information and you want access to it, or if it's something that it's it's going to, is going to be used as sort of like a lead generation tool or something that's going to be used by members of the general public before you're able to run conflicts and do those have those checks and balances in place in that case you might want to have you might want to shield yourself from that data and not have that visible by you um, so whatever the software tool is that you're using make sure it has both of those capabilities and the ability to switch those on and off now for instance does document have that Yes. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So I think we'll talk about that in, in a little bit, sort of as we're, we'll get that in the third question, but on the second question, um, what are three ways document can help attorneys automate their workflows? Um, and I invite you to get a little technical here. You know, we've talked about, you know, how they're underutilizing it. Now we're going to talk about how they can automate that information and, so, you know, telling us, well, we can automate the information is one thing, but showing us like what can actually be done. So I, I love like three good examples of how this can be done. Because um, because no offense, when, when I go to these CLEs, like uh, the ABA tech show, amongst other places, they talk about, well, these are the wonderful things that we can do, but they don't explain how they can do it. And I'm always left a little frustrated because it's like, well, do I want to invest time in something that quite frankly is just going to be a waste of time because it's not going to produce what I want 
or is this exactly what I'm looking for? Because it's a process that I understand that, you know, maybe with a little help, I can implement it. Yeah, definitely. Would it be helpful if I gave you, do you want me to walk you through the process of setting something up on document or do you want me to walk you through what maybe three different customers have done in very specific practice areas? I think the, I think the latter would be perfect because I, I think you can talk about document more in our third question. Definitely. Um, so I would say I'll, I'll give you three broad categories and then I'll tell you how three specific clients have, have done that. So Category one is completely internal use of document automation, never touches mm -hmm. the client. Category two is client collaboration and client intake, which we've seen a huge rise in during the pandemic when everyone is, is figuring out new ways to, to speak and collaborate with their clients. And then category three is what I like to call the TurboTax model. So where you actually have a full-fledged tool out there in the world, client, accesses it, it's fully white labeled, you, you go through the process and get your documents and you're off. Uh, so in category one, I think that uh, one of the areas where we see completely internal tools the most is where the area of law is very sophisticated and where the client is not actually able to input the data themselves because the data that needs to go in requires a lot of legal analysis and knowledge. So tax and accounting as are one example. We have a law firm who has built um, a tool that they actually have built some external tools too, but they have a tool for something called transfer pricing. And it's an area of law that I had never even heard of until, until I um, was, was working with this firm. And what they do is they help organizations and companies, multinational or multinational companies who are operating in different countries and they have different pricing schemes that they need to operate amongst and they need to put different agreements together for them as they're selling products in, in different, in different countries. So they may be able to capture certain pieces of data from their client, but a lot of the data that they're putting into the system to generate documents comes from their legal knowledge, not from the layperson's knowledge of what, you know, what their company is. So that's a situation where you want a completely internal tool. You as the, as the partner are the person who needs to go in, answer the questions and generate those very hefty sets of documents. Um, and then maybe you have some sort of e-signature that, that pushes those documents over to your clients so they can sign them. So that's example number one, completely internal tool. Right. Example number two, um, category number two. Uh, we find that the most common uh, place where people are doing an intake tool that they're where they're generating the documents in house is in estate planning. So you have in that in this particular case, by contrast to the transfer pricing example, your client probably has all the information that that needs to go into the documents. They know who their kids are, who they who they want as their trustees, right. um, you know what their assets are. So there's no reason for you to be inputting that data. You create a client intake um, with all kinds of decision tree logic, meaning you can say, if, if the person has kids, then ask these questions about children. If the person has kids that they wanna disown, then um, give, it to, you know, give it to these people. If there's an alcoholic kid, do this. You, know, you put in those rules behind the scenes, but um, the client can give you all that data. So you can send a link out to your client 
client inputs all of their information, and then you capture that information, review the documents, make sure it all looks good, maybe make a lot, maybe make some tweaks based on your legal knowledge of what needs to happen in this particular case. Uh, but it's kind of that dual relationship where you're you have client collaboration. Uh, but you're, you're still doing uh, a large part of the review of those documents. And then example number three is the TurboTax model. So we've seen this with a lot of divorce firms. Uh, we see this even with some of the more basic estate planning documents where you can actually have the client fill everything out on their own. And then we also see this with... Um, Anything, we, we see this with, within subscription form sites. So uh, subscription forms uh, or subscription services are uh, recently a more hot topic area in, in legal. And there are lots of lawyers who have been doing this for a while, but I think many other lawyers are, are kind of catching on to the, to the topic now where you can provide a set of forms to your clients and have them continuously generate those forms and just pay you a subscription fee per month. So we see this a lot in employment law, um, in anything related to kind of regular business operations. So you may have employment agreements, separation agreements, um, severance packages that you have as templates that you set up in an automated fashion. And then you have your clients who might be small businesses or, or large businesses who subscribe to that and they can generate as many documents as they want and they don't need to necessarily come to you because these are all most from, for the most part, they could be straightforward situations. Um, and where, you know, we were talking about expert systems, where the expert system sort of comes into this, this last final tool is uh, the objection I often get to subscription form sites is what if the client actually has an issue that I needed to know about that could pose a litigation risk? Mm -hmm. Well, why don't you program that into your system? So for example, separate like employment law, separation agreements, for the most part, most of the times when you're, when you're firing someone or you need to let them go, or you just want to have a severance package, it's, it, it may be fine and there may not be much litigation risk, but if they're part of a protected class, if they've complained to HR before, if they're, you know, if they're pregnant right now, um, those may be situations where you might want to consult with the lawyer first just make sure you, maybe there's no real litigation risk, but just make sure that there, you have all your bases covered. Um, you can put flags like that in the system that say, okay, you've told us that this employee has complained about sexual harassment five times in the past year. You should probably talk to the attorney before you separate them. Um, you may still go on with the same decision, but the automated system might not be right for you. Now, the, the latter category that you've been talking about, I mean, there are several examples out there, and I know that some of them use your platform. For instance, Hello Divorce uh, by um, Aaron Levine. And are there any, excuse me, are there any employment law examples that you could share with us? Because I'd like to kind of put those on uh, the show notes so that people could see these are the things that you can do. And, That's and a actually, good question. They, they use, they, I do know, excuse me, I do know they use DocuMate as the platform. So I kind of want to show that to the listener so that they may get their own idea. That's a great question. Let me check. I know that I've talked to several of our employment law clients about having these types of systems, but I, they, the ones that I know of don't have it 
pasted on the front of their website. So let me just make sure they're okay with me sharing. And if they are, I will, I'll share their names and information. And, um, well, are, are there any that's DIY? I mean, cause like hello divorce is DIY. And the reason why I was bringing, uh, Aaron's side up is because not only do they have the do it yourself, but they also have different tiers where if you need a little bit or a lot of attorneys help, with the process, they have a way of you contacting an attorney who's associated with the website so you can pay for as much or as little, if any, attorney's help. Um, and that's one of the things that I think that the DIY process may become more popular as it gives the client more control about how much they're spending or how much they could be spending. Definitely. So other DIY platforms that are definitely public are mm -hmm. um, a tool called Fresh Lease, uh, freshlease.com. Mm -hmm. They have residential leases that they uh, that they generate for you. And that one's actually a subscription platform. So it's kind of an, an interesting example of that. Um, also came out of a law firm that has started a tech company. Um, Lawvex, which they actually have a few free tools and then they have some paid tools. Uh, mm -hmm. One of their free tools is just a gift. It's uh, I think it's a gift memorandum creator and they use that as a lead generation tool on their website. So I can share all these links for, with you as well. Please. Um, that transfer pricing firm that I was telling you about does actually have some public facing tools as well. They're called LCN Legal, and they have built some really sophisticated audit tools that they make available to their to their accounting firm clients as well. Um, and on the employment firm, I'm thinking of one right off the top of my head. I'm just not 100% sure if I'm allowed to say their name publicly. So let me check with them, and then if they if they're okay with it, I'll give you their uh, their link too. So one thing I'm curious to know is, do you have any clients that do the court docket calendaring that, you know, if you find out that a pleading is due on X or you filed a complaint on Y, that it will populate out all the different dates for you that you can convert and transfer into a calendaring program? Do you have any, um, because it seems like this is like one of those things that you could use something like document for. Yeah. So we see people do that inside of their documents, not specifically using it to, mm -hmm. to populate something like Clio or whatever their practice management system is. Cause those, those systems already have their own, their own calendar, like cal calendar calculation systems. But we see people do that inside of their documents a lot where maybe you have inside of your workflow, you have a specific date that you're putting in. And then inside of your document, you have all the other dates that are calculated based on that date. Right. Right. Because you can do very sophisticated calculations, both numerical and date calculations to say, uh, you know, insert the date that is 30 days after this date and is also on a business day, for example. Right. Yeah, I, I have that in uh, my CRM for my for my law practice. And it comes in comes in really handy because I can just click in a date and it populates it out. I also have it set up so it gives me like a five day warning. Hey, you know, this draft better be solid kind of thing. Otherwise you need to really get on it. Um, mm -hmm. No, excellent. So my last question for you, and I realize this is one that I think you're going to love. Uh, what are three ways Document outperforms its competitors? Yeah. So one I would say is the client facing aspect. There are lots of document automation tools out there, uh, but they most for the most part don't have a client facing tool so you can generate documents in-house 
but it's not going to be easy for your customers, your clients to input that data. And in a, in a really seamless way that is also mobile friendly, that is a modern interface and completely white labelable to your brand um, available to them. So that I would say is one of the biggest reasons people have been kind of flocking to us, especially in the past year when, when they are, when everyone's going online is they want a tool that also doesn't look like it's a document automation tool. You can put your own logo at the top of the website. You can make your own colors, your own styling, your own buttons. So when you send the link for this client intake that they, that they mm-hmm. think is just a client intake to your clients, they think that that's all it is. And it's your, your questionnaire, but then behind the scenes, you may be generating documents and doing all sorts of other things with that data. So that's one. Um, two, I would say is the no code aspect. So the tools that exist out there are, um, there are some tools that are very, when we started document, we found that there were tools in two different buckets. Either they are very, very robust, but they basically require you to have a software developer set them up because they're so complicated and you have to learn so much coding. Right. Or on the other end of the spectrum, they're very easy to use, but they don't do much more than just mail merge. So we sort of bridge that gap. We have all of the robustness of, of the legacy software tools that have existed for years, but we do it in a modern, clean interface and make it really easy for our customers to use. Um, and as a bonus, we give um, great customer support. We're, we're here. We have unlimited support for, for, for our folks. Uh, and then three, I would say, is security. So we, you touched on this earlier. Uh, almost all of our clients are, are law firms. And so there's a lot of, and there's, we also have some medical firms on our platform. So there's a lot of sensitive data going in and out of our systems. And so security is of utmost importance to us. We set up all of our clients on separate segregated databases, which is more than what most SaaS companies do. Um, you know, and we have all the data is encrypted and transit at rest, all of the standard features as well. And for, for those, uh, I think I mentioned for those outside of the U.S., which we have some clients outside of the US if they have particular database requirements or they need to store it in certain locations, we can always do that as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, I appreciate you sharing all this information about automation. And I'm gonna ask you this one question. We didn't, this wasn't pre-prepared. If there was one thing that you could say to say an old school attorney or attorney's firm that is hesitant to use a, a document automation company like yourself, what would be the one thing that, that you'd say to them to encourage them to at least take a look at it? Yeah, I think one of the most common objections is that people think that if they automate, they're automating themselves out of a job. But really, there is, you're, you're actually increasing your market size by automating mm-hmm. because you're able to make yourself more efficient. You're able to make sure that you have less errors in your documents, obviously. But that also means that if you are willing to provide different and alternative fee models that are outside of your traditional billable hour rate, Mm -hmm. you're also able to access a huge segment of the population that you never had access to before because they weren't able to afford your services. And so you can provide more volume-based services and also make your own life happier because you, you don't have to spend it on all the rote routine work. You can spend it on the advice and counsel that comes with the more complicated issues 
um, right. after the documents right. are generated. And your 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 being your billable hour, if you will, whether you're paying it out or not, is still going to be the same. Whether you're doing admin work, which is basically more time consuming, and not really the nitty gritty of why you're really being hired, versus you know getting the substantive work done, which is what you really want to focus on, which I would think would be great for small and medium sized firms. Exactly. And that's a great point. I mean, for those who are already using flat fee models and alternative uh, fee, fee, fee schedules, uh, you have no reason not to be automating because that's just your time and you're not making anything extra on, on spending it doing, in, doing admin work. So wait, I got to ask you one other question. Um, are you on Clubhouse? I am. You know, it's funny. Someone, someone told me, I was just on a clubhouse call this morning and someone was like, mm-hmm. oh, I see you're very active on clubhouse, but it was only my second time on clubhouse. Um, I'll be there next week too. I'm doing a, a, a session with uh, the folks from Clio actually. Oh, excellent. Well, please provide us the information and we'll put that in the show notes. I definitely will. So Dorna, tell us, where can people find you? Yeah. So I am on Twitter at DocumateLaw with no spaces or my personal Twitter is Dorna Moini. Um, I think it's actually Dorna underscore Moini. Uh, they can always email me at Dorna at document.org and um, you know, all the LinkedIn, Facebook, all the other social media I'm on there as well. Well, Dorna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.